Peter calls the Word of God an imperishable seed. It is a seed that is eternal and powerful. And as God moves in us and has been stirring us in worship and and turning up the fallow ground, fallow ground is hard ground that needs to be churned and turned over, and he's preparing the soil so that he can plant the Word of God into us so that all through this week, this Word of God is going to grow and uh, uh, manifest uh, uh, what we need to bring the kingdom into the earth wherever we are this week. So this morning I want to share with you again on our theme that we are better together. What I want to share with you are the dimensions of Psalm 133. So if you will, please turn to Psalm 133 as we have studied this in the past. We'll study it again. It's a psalm of David and it speaks of unity. Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard and on the uh, uh, the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So a beautiful, beautiful song talking about unity. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in what? Unity. We're better together. We're better together. And then he gives a couple illustrations. It is so precious. It is an anointing. This is the anointing of the church. The church is the high priest. That anointing is the Holy Spirit. That oil is that Holy Spirit that unites us together and makes us a priesthood in the earth. Right? And we water this earth with the freshness of God. Just as the dew on Mount Hermon falling upon Zion... But here is what is important. It says there, for there. Where? Mount Hermon? What's the there? For there is where God. So what's the there? Because we want to find that out because that's where the blessing's commanded. That's where the blessing is sent. So what's the there? Unity. <laughs> Unity. Okay, let's go back to the top. Behold how good and blessed it is that brethren dwell together in Unity, for there is where the Lord commands a blessing, okay? So unity is the key. Unity is the key where the blessing is commanded. So when God sees, we'll get into this as we go along, when God sees two or more gathered in His name, boom, He is there, right? And he commands. How many of you want God to command over your life? How many of you want God to command his will into what you're doing and what you're agreeing on? We're to agree on earth. So the command comes from heaven as we are in unity and and there the blessing flows. But there's a key here. Is it any gathering? Is it any people together? We have to qualify the unity. It must be qualified. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren and sisterin willing. When the people of God dwell together in unity. This is huge. 
and it is a necessary qualification that it is when the brethren or the family of God, when brothers and sisters come together, there is where the blessing is commanded. There's a movement out right now. It started from the emergent church. It's becoming quite popular in churches. And it's a slogan that says, belong before you believe. It's to say that we're inclusive. We include everybody. It's a, you, you have to be careful because it's a little bit, uh, it should raise a flag, this uh, inclusiveness. The idea, a lot of times, is an effort by the LGBTQ community to come into the church and for folks to be accepting of, of all folks. Of course, we accept the LGBTQ. We accept anybody that is in a lifestyle of sin to come in and find a savior. But here's the problem with the slogan and this thing that's moving throughout the church very quickly. Belong before you believe. We want you to belong to the church and you don't have to believe. You'll find the faith. As you're with us, you'll see it and know it. Can I tell you something? That ain't right. I say it that way so your ear will go... This is so unscriptural. You can't belong unless you believe. Jesus is, in fact, exclusive. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through Christ Jesus the Son. No man can know the Father except through Jesus. And then he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God or the community, or identify as the church, unless you are born again. So you can't belong. Now, you can belong to the group of people meeting, and maybe that's the idea. Come on in and belong to us. We're friendly, we're nice, we'll love you. That's fine. But that is not the church. You're saying you can belong to the building, you can belong to gathering with us, But I have to let you know, you do not belong to the church of Jesus Christ unless, as Jesus said, you are born again or born from above. Well, Jesus is inclusive in this fact that he says, we are all sinners. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So that is inclusive. He includes everybody on the planet. You're all sinners. There's the inclusiveness. And then the inclusiveness is come to the cross because I died for all sins. So if you can't come to the cross and identify Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you can't belong to the kingdom. But what we've done is separated the church from the kingdom. And that is a major flaw of the church. We're trying to make everybody happy and friendly to the church when in fact it is an offense to everyone because it calls everyone out as a sinner. And so we've got to be careful. So the unity, brother and sisters, is not because we meet together on Sunday at 9 o'clock or 11.30. That's not our unity. Our unity is found in the fact that we have come to a cross because we are all sinners and Christ died for us and by confessing faith in Him, His Spirit is in us. Now we belong 
to Christ Jesus. There's the unity. And that's essential. So, the command of blessing comes to the body of Christ unified in Jesus. That's where God commands a blessing. And He does that by beginning with the building block of unity in the number two. Two represents the building block for unity. If you have two, then you have the beginning of unity. Jesus said, if two or more are gathered, how? In my name. Again, qualify it. I will be in your midst. And so he commands. If Jesus is in our midst, then every promise is yes and amen. The blessing is commanded unto us because we gather in Jesus' name. Let's remember, we're better together because we're together in Christ. That's the key. That's the key. So two is the building block. Therefore, let's see what happens with the power of blessing among two. You know this verse in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. I'll read it to you if you can find it quick enough. Catch up. And so the writer, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, says this. Two are better than one. Right? Because there's a power of addition here. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor or their toil, right? Two can get more work done than one can. Isn't that true? Okay, you're with me so far. If someone falls down, another can what? Pick him up. Now, you know that's what that commercial's all about. I have fallen and I can't get up. (laughs) And when you don't have the other person there, you have a little thing wrapped around your your throat that you push the button to get the second person there to pick you up. Am I right? Solomon knew that. But pity the one who is alone when he falls and is alone. Mr. T understood that when he said pity the fool who falls down and can't get up. It goes on. Again, when two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm? That's true, too. You just better watch out who you're laying down with. But we'll go on. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. So when you're in a fight, You can fight this guy here, but you better watch your back. You've got no one watching your back, right? So when two are fighting, they can go back to back. And they can cover all areas. And so two people fighting is much better than one. How many of you know that? So he goes, two, 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 two are better, two are better than one, two is better than one, two is better than one, two is better than one. And then he concludes his statement with this. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Why did he do that? The whole emphasis here is that two is better than one. Why would he end saying three? Is he, is he just saying, you know, well, two's good, but three's better, and might as well keep going. Four would even be better than that. Hey, if you get ten, you're in great shape. There's something behind this that in fact i believe he's not leaving the number two behind 
What he's actually saying is this. Two is better for a fight. Two is better to stay warm. Two is better when you fall down, have needs. And he said a three-strand cord is not easily broken. What he's saying is this. When two people agree on one thing, you can't break that bond. He's still focusing on the two. When two people, now of course we know that if we would agree on whom? Jesus, right? If two people confess the same confession, if two people agree on the same thing, you can't break them. But that's the key to this verse. That's the mystery to this verse. If two people, now this is a principle that even applies out in the world. If two people come together on one issue, you're not going to break them. They're going to stand together. But how much more if the two of us would come together on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can't break this thing because the blessing is commanded to be there. A three-strand cord is not easily broken. And so, brothers and sisters, the key to our unity is that we agree as to who Jesus is. When two people commit to one thing, they become united. So that cause becomes a three-strand cord not easily broken. Here's the key. Our strength is not that we are unified with each other. If you think unity is us unifying to each other, we will be easily broken. Our unity is our commitment to Christ. That is what holds us together. How many of you have been disappointed by other people? Anybody here? Anybody? I see one hand. I see one in the back. Come on, if the church's unity was based on how well we get along, do you think it would have lasted 2,000 years? Our unity is not how, about how we feel about each other, how warm and fuzzy we are with each other, how we can get along with each other. Our unity is not based on that. It is based on a higher authority. Our unity is based on all of us looking to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. With that, I can tolerate anything we give to each other. Do you see the strength in that? Some of you who are married, if I could encourage you that if in your marriage you would be unified more over Christ Jesus than how you're getting along, you would actually get along better. So you respect Christ. And that's what, that's what Paul says. That you're to love one another in reverence to Christ. So I love my wife in honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my love to her is based on how I am serving Him, and she's blessed by it. Same for her. Her devotion to Jesus calls her to be a good wife to me, despite my behavior. Come on, that's the only thing that'll save a marriage, you know that. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So here's the key, brothers and sisters. Our unity is that we confess Jesus. That's why it's a three-strand cord. Because we're committed to Christ. That's our unity. So we need a reality check on what unity is in the body of Christ. Well, I thought we're supposed to be unified. We can't have any disagreements. 
we can't oppose each other. We can't be, uh, we have to all get along and be exactly correct with each other. And, and I'm telling you, if, you'd read, if you've read the Bible, you see that the early church had a real problem with that. Everybody wants to be like the early church. Well, we are. No, Pastor, we have troubles and, stri- and trials. Look at within the first year, they had a split among the Hellenistic widows and the Hebrew widows. They had to develop a board of deacons to stop these old ladies from beating each other up. Okay, they weren't beating each other up, but it could have gotten there. Paul, in fact, when he writes the Corinthian church, says some of you say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of Peter, some say I'm of Paul, and the others say, bless God, I'm of Jesus. And so he said, there must be disputes among you, as a matter of fact, so that the right will be proven out. We're all in a pursuit of truth. And we bump each other and elbow each other and poke each other in the eye and step on each other's foot as we're all walking together to find the truth that God is leading us into about Jesus Christ. Sometimes that's painful. I like what Winston Churchill said. If two agree on everything, one of them's not necessary. That's a great quote. Iron sharpens iron. There are times, so we have a false understanding of what unity is. And we think that it's that we agree on everything and we all get along. And can I tell you, that's not necessarily so. But having these differences, misunderstandings, and so forth, you have to watch out from moving into sin. So, so how do we do that? We can have differing opinions and disagree, but we cannot enter into sin. So, I understand you can have an opinion of me, and you can disagree with me, and I can disagree with you. That's fine. But when we begin to slander, that's not good. So you can totally disagree with me, and we can agree to disagree, and we can vehemently disagree. But the minute we attack someone's character, right? Now, some of you have had that experience, and it's a very popular thing to do now in debates. How many of you watch the presidential debates? Or have you been able to eliminate that from your psyche because Jesus healed you and delivered you? But if you'll look at the social justice warriors and if you'll look on YouTube of the people who are in debates and so forth, the number one tactic of debate nowadays is to simply slander the other person so they present an argument and they go you know what you're an idiot you're a bigot you're a hater that actually does not go along with the discussion so in the church we can disagree with each other we don't have to uh walk and and skip and hop together And that's good if you can, but I'm telling you, you're going to trip every now and then. And that's okay, but how do we do it? We don't demonize the other person. And the church is so good at this. The church is wonderful. How many of you see national leaders just demonizing other church leaders? They got demons, they got devils. These are good people, right? And, And they have different doctrines, that are all biblical, right? Right? So the, so the, 
the non-tongue-talking Calvinists come against the tongue-talking Pentecostals and, and they say, you've got a demon that makes you talk in tongues. And they go, we ain't got a demon to talk in tongues. You've got a Pharisaic demon. You're a demon. I'm not a demon. You're a demon. And it's stupid. What they don't realize is they are unified in their faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, are we going to get them to skip along together? I don't think so. But what we do need to get them to do is stop sinning against each other. So don't attack character or don't attack the quality of the person. I'm helping us understand how to disagree. So when you have a disagreement with someone, you don't have to call them a demon. You don't, you don't have to accuse them of that. When you have a disagreement with someone, you don't have to impugn their character. Okay? And don't assume you understand everything about them. So you may have to agree to disagree, and that's okay. We can do that and still stay in unity. You, you have to be careful that what you assume, uh, don't make unfounded accusations. And most of all, uh, we may not like each other, but we must love each other. Now, this is the problem because as a Western church, uh, in our culture, we define love as, as emotionally based. And when we're upset with someone, our emotions aren't really feeling it. But love is a commitment. I've had issues with people in the past and years gone by where we've had disagreements, sharp disagreements. But I'm commanded to love them in Jesus. And so my emotions are in a different place, but my commitment to pray for them and pray blessing to them is still committed to love them because we both love Jesus. Do you see how unity works? So it may be beyond your emotional abilities, and forgiveness moves in that realm too. It's hard to forgive when you're emotionally really hurt. But it's a command of God, and so out of the command and obedience to God, my emotions, you can say, Jesus, I will forgive them because I'm commanded to love and forgive, but emotionally I'm not there. God will help that, as long as you understand that. We may not trust each other, but we must forgive. And a lot of people think forgiveness means that everything's wiped away, and now I have to commit, recommit, reconcile, and trust them. Not if they've stole a thousand bucks out of your wallet. If you got a thousand bucks in your wallet, I'm hanging with you. Where are we going for lunch? <laughs> Forgiveness doesn't mean you trust the person that broke trust with you. That has to be earned again. But because you love them, you love Jesus, you forgive, which means you're not going to strike them back or steal from them. But the trust issue has to be worked on. So unity, my brothers and sisters, again, is outside of our emotional base. It's outside of our agreeing. It is a commitment to God above all things to honor and love and respect each other as best we can. And the rest will follow after that. If you stay faithful to God's word, your emotions will catch up. Our unity is not found in us it's found as we are in Him. Now let's go on. The key to this is that it is covenant agreement. That's the key. We are in covenant with Jesus so the f promises flow. 
Behold how good and pleasant it is that brethren dwell together in unity. It is there that God commands the blessing. Why? Because we're in covenant. And so being in covenant is like a marriage. Being in covenant is that we love each other, but sometimes we don't get along. But we are committed to that covenant of agreement with God. That is powerful. And that's what Jesus is talking about to the power. Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Why? We're in covenant with him. That's why Abraham, when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Because I'm in covenant with you and what happens on the earth is because, Abraham, you're on the earth and I'm in heaven. You're my governing authority on the earth, Abraham, because we're in covenant. So I'm going to go destroy this city. So Abraham negotiates with God. How could he do that? He's in covenant. He's in covenant with God. So as he's in covenant with God, he says, hey, would you not destroy that city if we could find 50 people that are righteous? God says, I'll agree to that. Yeah, he remembers, he had a visit, he walked past that place a while ago, and then he goes, well, okay, how about 40? (laughs) God says, yes. Picks up the TV guide, that's an old thing that people used to have, and he sees Sodom and Gomorrah TV channels, and he goes, "Uh, how about 30? He brings it all the way down to 10. God would have spared that city for 10 righteous people because God, uh, judgment is alien to God, foreign to God. God loves to, to, to bless and to love. But there is a point where it went beyond and it was going to begin corrupting the chosen people. And so he says, if there's 10 righteous, and in fact there's not 10 righteous, so he got the four out that he could. Or maybe there was more. I can't remember. A lot and his wife, and I forget how many kids... Three daughters? Two daughters. Study that at home. Right? He still saved that which was righteous out of it. So here's the key, brothers and sisters, the power of agreement. What we would agree on earth, understand we're in covenant with God in heaven. And so our unity is with heaven. So my unity to you you is based on our power to bring down heaven. So we've got to stay unified to bring down the authority of God's will on the earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he talks about that unity. That's where he sends the blessing. He said it to Israel. He said, one can send a thousand to flight. Two can send ten thousand. He tells Joshua, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you. When you're in covenant with God and you're in a fight, the the power elevates One can send a thousand. Now, I like biblical math. With God on your side, one guy can send a thousand to flight. With God on your side, it multiplies. Two can send what? Ten thousand. Woohoo! What do you do with twelve? You turn the world upside down, and Christianity invades every culture and every civilization. What can we do with 400-some people at Christ Community Church? Come on. When we're in covenant with Him and our unity is based on His covenant promises, again, we may not get along. We may get arguments. We may have that, but that is not the basis of our unity. The basis of our unity is I'm in covenant with Him. 
How many of you know that? When, when someone's sick and, and, and someone's in need, right? And you're with someone that you don't particularly like, I don't care, let's pray. Right? So let's understand the power of agreement and unity. And let's work hard at this biblical math. If one can send a thousand to ten thousand, then how many of you know that with God we're going to do some damage to the enemy? Are you ready to do some damage? Our unity is based on the promises of God. Now I just have to give a warning concerning discord. And that's what Paul says. In Romans 16, 17 to 18, he said, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch or to mark those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. So if there is power in the covenant, consider this. What did he say that the power of the, of the command of blessing would do? It is there he commands the blessing, comma, life eternal. So the blessing is eternal life. The blessing is God life. So if we work together, committed in our unity to the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got eternal life moving. We've got God life moving, spirit life flowing. If we sow discord, if we're not into that, then we're separating from that eternal life. Not that you're losing your salvation. What I'm saying is we're separating from that flow of spirit life. That's what discord does. So Paul says, come on, let's be careful how we we talk about each other, what we do with each other. He said, sowing seeds of discord in Proverbs 6.19. How many of you know what it means to sow? To broadcast. So if you have issues that you're broadcasting, opinions and ideas, again, that's fine. Opinions and ideas are fine. But when you move past them into slander or gossip, right? Now we've moved into sin and we don't want to be spreading that. And then he goes on, what is a seed? Seed's something little that you plant. And if that plant gets into good soil, it'll take root. Once it takes root, it grows and has branches. Once it has branches, it bears fruit, which has more seeds to multiply the discord. I've seen it. I'm an overseer for our district in Michigan of churches and i've had to deal with church splits before and can i tell you and we don't have a church split i'm just giving you an illustration of sowing discord and and uh what i see in church splits when i have to go try to reconcile churches together and mend them together many times it's not the key figures that have the problem it's the sowing of discord of the secondary witnesses the secondary opinions who begin to sow ideas and it spreads and it begins to take root, and it creates a life that is in fact even different than what the actual problem was. So Paul says, let's mark that. Our unity, we've got to be careful. So we have the right to have opinions. We have the right to have disagreements. We have the right to share them and, care, and speak about them and discuss them and work them through. Absolutely. But let's watch that it doesn't turn into character assassinations and demonizing people and so forth and creating assumptions and new ideas that we don't want and so paul says mark them let's watch that let me give you a classic example of the power of unity of people who disagreed i'll close with this paul and barnabas you remember these two fellas what a wonderful wonderful story a drama of life this is real life 
Paul gets saved. He was an accuser of the brethren, wasn't he? He was a killer. He killed the church. He persecuted. But he got gloriously and wonderfully saved. People were scared to trust him, though, so Paul went back to Tarsus for about 15 years before he even started ministry. How many of you realize that? He got saved and he got sidelined and he went back to his hometown and and studied Jesus and, and so forth. And someone came to his house one day knocking. He looks, Barney, what's up? It was Barnabas. He said, look it, I want you to come with me back to Jerusalem. And he said, what we're going to do is we're going to go over to Antioch together. So they go to Antioch and they're ministering and they're praying in a a prophetic convocation of, of leadership. And in that meeting, the Spirit of God says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to do. Wow, okay, now you've got a partnership here. Now you've got a team together. They go out on missionary journeys. It's awesome. There's a time, Galatians, Paul talks about it, where they were in a room with a bunch of Gentiles, and, and Paul and Barnabas comes in, and Paul looks, and, and Peter's talking to a bunch of Gentiles, but then a bunch of Jewish guys come in, and Peter runs away from the Gentiles because he doesn't want to get caught talking to them. And Paul walks up to him publicly and says, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Rebukes him openly and in the public. But if you'll read a little further, it says, and Barnabas as well was swayed by the Judaizers. Paul obviously had a conversation with Barnabas. I think the split began at that point. They had trouble together in their relationship. Later on, we find out that Barnabas said, hey, look, I got a nephew. I know he's a squirrely little guy. Could we bring him? He says, all right, yeah, what's his name? John Mark. We call him Mark. You can call him Marky Mark, whatever you want. I don't care. Come on. So they go on a missions trip. It's dangerous. It's rough. Mark says, I don't want to do this anymore. And he leaves. So they come back to town, and they're ready to go back out again. And Barnabas says, come on, Mark, pick up my bags, let's go. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no way, no how, no. And Barnabas says, what are you talking about? He goes, we're not bringing Mark. We have to bring Mark. I train people up. This is what I do. He needs a second chance. I ain't giving him a second chance. You can send him somewhere else, but he's not going with me. It's too dangerous. I'm not going to deal with this. It says in the Bible that the contention was so sharp between them In other words, it ripped their relationship apart. I'm sorry, who called them together? God. They had such an argument that they they disbanded their relationship. They broke fellowship. Paul said, Silas, you're with me. I'm out of here. Barnabas took Mark, and we don't, you know, mentored him and so forth. Fast forward a number of years later. Mark serves Barnabas. Mark then later serves Peter. And at the end of uh, Paul's life in the book of Timothy, he writes to Timothy and he says, hey, do me a favor, will you? When you come visit me, bring John Mark. He is profitable to me for ministry. Something happened over those years. Because in their devotion to Jesus, they worked out their conflicts. I don't know how well that Paul and Barnabas worked out their conflict, but the unity is not based on whether we agree or disagree. The unity is based on the work that we're doing for the kingdom. Our, the, our unity is based on our devotion to Jesus Christ. And in the end, we will find that we may disagree, but we're working hand in hand for the kingdom of God.
That's what our unity is based in. And as Paul put it this way, you are neither Jew nor Greek. That's cultural differences. I don't know if there's any cultural differences in the church. I would imagine there couldn't be any cultural differences in the church. Could there be? Doesn't matter. There's no slave or free. That's, that's class distinction. I'm sure there's no class distinctions in churches. Whether you're male or female, I'm sure that there are no gender wars in churches. Paul says, whatever classification that would cause division among us, he said, we are one in Christ Jesus. We are one. And that's our strength of unity. And as we are one in that unity, it is there God commands the blessing. There's a blessing being commanded this morning by our love and devotion to Jesus. Would you stand this morning as we thank Him for that? Hallelujah. Would you make a confession as a church with me? Could you lift your hand up to the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior. Savior. We agree together together. that you died for us, you You rose from the dead, dead. and you sit at the right hand of the Father. You You are the head of this church, church. and we are in a bond of love and and unity. In our devotion to you, help us to walk together as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship God this morning.